On the podcast this week, we have Martin Mayer. Martin is known as Canada's Prince of Piano. He is Vancouver-based, classically trained pianist who spends a lot of his time touring in China, as he's a really big deal over there. Martin was a lot of fun to chat with and a great story. MartinMayerMusic.com is the place to find him on the interwebs, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. Our sponsors this week, Stickman Clothing Company, based out of Regina, Saskatchewan. This month, you can use the promo code INSESSION20 for a 20% discount on all their awesome clothing products. Please visit them at stickmanclothingcompany.com. Also, Music City Canada is your one-stop shop for all music-related equipment. They have uh, great staff, great pricing, and they ship right to your door. You can find them at musiccitycanada.com. Also, Morning Buzz Coffee Company, based out of Hamilton, Ontario. They also ship right to your door. They have awesome coffee and owned by two incredible musicians. Please support them at morningbuzzcoffee.buzz. And also, if you're listening on uh, Spotify or iTunes or watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. You can find out all the options on how to get my podcast at getmypodcast.com. All right, now here's this week's guest, Martin Mayer. All right. We are here live with Martin Mayer. It's nice to have you on the podcast. Um, Thanks for having me. You're a, a great man at the piano. Um, oh, stop. Yeah. No, go on. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're really average. at. No. <laughs> I got to keep practicing those skills just a little bit. It's like one, two, three. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. And uh I was great. We kind of connected and uh, I've been looking over all your your stuff. And I have to really say you, you do a really great job at um, your promotional work, um, your website, you. uh, all that stuff. And I think if you're a musician, um, you should go look at what you do because uh, it's important. I think it's one of those things that uh, a lot of people fail at is, you know, it's that thing you, most people just go right to a website and check somebody mm -hmm. out now. Yeah. And if it doesn't look really great, then you judge it right away. Uh, mm -hmm. Automatically you can, you know, you can judge it and there's still a lot of bad websites out there. Um, yeah. But you've done a good job. How important is have really great pictures. Um, you know, that makes a difference. Um, your electronic press kit was great. Kind of gives you, every option that you could ever imagine and um so yeah kudos on on doing do you look after that yourself or do you have someone do that i do um it's something that i used to do professionally before i went full-time into music so um you know i i now preach to myself what i used to preach to clients which is you know make sure that everything is succinct across you know instagram and facebook and your website and everything has that same sort of um polished look to it so i i don't i don't miss doing graphic and web for other people yeah um but i i know enough about it to be like okay you know there's a there's a certain look that you know my my stuff tends to have and has always had for years and um you know i i very much appreciate the the compliment because it, it is a lot of work and you want to make sure that you know, in in a sea of when when journalists or podcasters such as yourselves are are getting, hey, you know, I'd love to be your guest. You know, here's my website. You want to make sure that it's it's professional, that it's synced, and um, 
you know, I, I love the way the, the stuff looks, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by, you know, fantastic photographers, Kevin Clark and his team did an amazing job on those photos and just having great material is a, is a really great starting point. So having great photos that you can start with makes building a website and adding your story so much easier. Yeah. And it's amazing. Even, uh, been doing this podcast and, you know, you always ask for promo pictures or yep. two or three, uh, because depending on where you post it, sometimes you want something that's more vertical, something you need, something more horizontal. Uh, first of all, there's usually hardly ever an option for that. Um, mm -hmm. And it's tough with a lot of people to even having one decent picture. Yeah. And uh, I think it's got to be, you know, uh, you know, you think in nowadays that you'd have a million shots available, but yeah. um, it's still something that uh, a lot of people pass up on and don't spend the money. Um, and you don't need a hundred pictures. You just need a, f a few good ones. Um, yeah. And that can last uh, a long time. If it's good, I, I don't mind seeing it all over the place if it's the same, same picture. Um, mm -hmm. But sometimes if you only have a few and they're just kind of okay, you, those yeah. are the ones you get tired of really, really quickly. Yeah, no, a great photo is is tantamount to you know virtually anything and everything that that you do that's what that's what it starts with because that's what people are gonna see and look at even before they you know scroll down to your bio or listen to your music it's what is that first image that you know captures captures their attention it has to for me i've i felt like it has to convey some kind of story of who i am or what i'm trying to do so that it's like oh you know this is interesting right and i want to read more about this and then listen um you know to to the music myself back in you know in in the early days and you can see some of it you know behind me it was very just well then i had hair you know that <laughs> that was that was very different now i've now i've gone for the you know the the dark rimmed glasses and and the shaved head look and so you embraced the, it well, I, I did. I mean, it's been, I, I shaved my head 12 years ago and I I don't miss any of it. Now I can make those jokes about, you know, going outside and it's raining. It's like, oh, it's going to mess up my skin, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, back then it was all just very, you know, I had, I had shirts from, from the Gap or, you know, whatever sort of just still clean and crisp, but I was, you know, I was 20 years old and it, it didn't really have any sort of a punch or whatnot to it. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a photo shoot with a beautiful Fazioli red grand piano and I wore a blue suit with it. And the way that it was photographed, it just, the piano pops, but the suit and the color of it brings attention to me that isn't a way of, hey, look at me, right? The the ones that I have now with the white piano and and the, the blue suit that has, you know, those uh, floral patterns on it. Yeah. Again, it's the, the, the piano is intended to be the star. I'm just the guy that is, that is creating the music with it. So it's, you know, those pictures are important. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because if, if I was going to say anything to any sort of independent artist or, you know, person that, it, that is coming up, the music is great, but your image is your brand. And that is what people are going to take away, remember and see before they, even read about you or before they look at your music yeah, or listen to your music rather. I think even nowadays with 
lot of people uh, doing live little Instagram stories and, and all those things, you still have to think about your framing, your, mm-hmm. you know, your compositions, the lighting. Okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes you think those little things go by really quick. You don't think about it, but when you've got a hundred of them and yeah, it adds up, I mean, it just keeps, it's still a part of your brand and the way you look and you see the ones who do it really well. Um, it, it's seamless. I mean, it's just all of a sudden, it, it just makes it look that much more pro. Um, mm-hmm. But some people just don't have an eye for it, which I totally understand that too. You know, you always see people taking pictures and, and, they frame it and then your head stops here and it's empty from all the way up. Right. (laughs) And they just don't see that. Uh, And I understand, I mean, it's not, everyone's going to have an eye for that, but I think there's gotta be some good, simple courses out there that kind of just say, here's the best way make sure that you fill the frame. um, Unless you're being, you know, super artistic or something. Um, uh, And there's just a few, you know, a few simple things and the iPhones and that they're so great. I mean, you can, you know, for, oh, totally. Yeah. You know, just do a little shadowing around the outside, fix a couple of things and away you go. It's great. Yeah. That's really They've got apps now where it's just like, you know, beautify your face and, you know, whatever. And, and, and that type of thing. It's, you know, um, photos, photos can be great and should be great. Um, but then again, I've, I've seen stuff where people don't have the best photos and you look at it and go, is that intentional? Because it kind of looks like it's artistic with what they're doing. It, it sort of plays with that border of like, is this intentional or is it artistic? Yeah. And that kind of, you know, that's a different type of conversation. Yeah. And some people are just photogenic, right? There's something about them that no matter what light they're in <laughs> <laughs> or what, you know, you know, if they got a lot of cool tattoos or, you know, have that yeah. real vibe. I mean, you can go with a crappier picture because there's the, there's so much character within the person, yeah. right? Uh, it took two hours this morning just to look this pale and this even of a paleness. <laughs> I'll fix that in post. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, obviously, you're a very cool piano player. And uh, how would you describe this your style of, of music? Um, cause you're not really a classical guy. I mean, I'm sure nope. you do that to some extent or have, um, you're not a rock and roll guy. Um, you're not really a jazzer. Um, but what, what would you describe your style? I am every single record store stockist worst nightmare because they don't know where to pigeonhole me in terms of where the where does this go does it go into new age does it go into neoclassical does it go into classical crossover um i'm classically trained i i did jazz training um i would say the best description would be instrumental fusion because it's a fusion of different different styles. So the, the the classical training gave me the chops to play whatever I need to. Um, the the jazz and the pop stuff, um, you know that that gives me sort of more of the um, the the interpretational feeling that you know that you put into stuff that um, that you don't get from classical. Not to say that there isn't you know, expressive stuff in 
in classical music, but it, it's it's very different. When I look at a piece of classical music, I look at it and go, okay, this is this is how Beethoven intended it. This is how it's been played multiple times. Why should I look at that or play it any differently? If I look at something like um, you know a song by um, by Adele, um, changing the key. Uh, brings out a completely different tonal kind of sound from the piano. The the production that goes behind it, you know, whether it has strings or whether it has a muted trumpet or something like that, completely changes the the characteristic of of a song. There's not so much that you can do uh, with classical music in in that respect, unless you're going, you know, uh, hooked on classics with you know the the disco track in in the background. Yeah. But even then, it still has that classical sound to it. So for me, when when somebody says, you know, what is your genre? My answer immediately is instrumental fusion because I feel like I fuse different elements of styles that I love to play and styles that I've learned uh, with the type of music that that I write and that I perform, and and I bring that into you know if I'm if I'm playing you know popular pieces, um, I do a cover of the Pirates of the Caribbean theme. And I do that on guitar, and I go and I play it in the audience. Yeah. And so that that is very different than the guy that, you know, two minutes ago played a song that brings out my classical chops. And I will forever be grateful to my piano teacher for encouraging me, encouraging me as in go and practice this because this is what your parents are paying for. Yeah for doing the stuff like you know scales and arpeggios and all that sort of stuff because back then i didn't want to do it i don't don't know anybody who does want to practice even now as a professional musician you know it's like okay gotta keep up the gotta keep up the technique but what i learned back then and all that stuff gave me the the base and the ground for being able to play stuff that i look at and i go okay i still have to learn to get this under my fingers but once i have it there I can I can move with it, so that's sort of my long-winded answer to your short question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it it's a very cool style, and it's it's kind of neat because it's very I wouldn't and don't take this wrong way at all. It's very non-offensive, you know. So yeah. if you're a classical fan, you're gonna enjoy it. But if you don't like classical, if that's not your thing, you could yeah. see you and hear you do your thing. And you'd be like, yeah, I can get into that because it's not far one way or far the other. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That's one of the things that I really love about two cellos. You know, it's a it's a classical instrument and they played with um, a, a massive amount of emotion to the point where you can, when they when they play, you can hear them, you know, they, they breathe in yeah. as as they as they play. And that is such an um, immensely personal characteristic to have on a performance or on a recording but they pair that with you know electronic stuff underneath right and so composers that i've always loved is is a guy like danny elfman you've got the the classical traditional orchestra mm-hmm. with you know the sort of you know driving beat underneath hans zimmer revolutionized that with you know the the batman stuff and then you know i take the classical sort of you know, symphony sound from John Williams. And so all of a sudden, you know, you take all of these sort of pieces and you float a, a, a beautiful piano sound on top of that. And that's, that's the sound. Yeah. Uh, what do you have at home as far as piano goes? 
So I've got uh, Roland has been my go-to for for as long as you know I've I've been studying music. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, a couple of Elise's guitars and a Roland guitar on um, on my wall over there, signed by John Tesh. Cool. Uh, which is which is really cool because uh, he's somebody that inspired me back when he did the uh, the live Red Rocks PBS special. Yeah. And I had a chance to meet him about a year and a half ago, and just super great guy, you know. Um, and I, I play Fazioli uh, grand pianos when when I perform. Um, you know, they're just they're just amazing pianos. They have something about that. Um, I was always a fan of Yamaha, and I still am. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that that I always found is that with with any piano, when it's brand new and you sit down at it, you always have to break it in. Yeah. It's like a it's like a shoe, right? The thing with Fazioli, the minute that you sit down at it. It has that feeling of this has been around and under my hands for years. It it has that broken in feeling is um, it's such a disservice of a description to the piano because that's not what it is. It's not a broken in piano, yeah. but that's what it feels like. It just has that like a warm knife through butter. It's just you know it, it's they're they're amazing pianos and any chance that I get to play them. Um, I do. Probably hard to find in Moose Jaw. <laughs> if you're in Saskatchewan, <laughs> um, tough on the rider. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess most places, if you're playing a performing arts center, they're going to have their dedicated grand piano that's in house. Um, uh, the one that's been sitting in the corner and collecting dust under the cover for. Yeah, they pull out know. every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I've toured with a lot of piano. Uh, shows or piano forward shows. Um, a good, really good friend of mine, Jim Witter, um, has a show called The Piano Men, and it's the music of Billy Joel and Elton John. Hmm. So I've toured and did big orchestra shows all over North America with him um, as the front of house guy. And man, I tell you, and you've probably experienced it over and over again. There's no one piano the same, man. And they're all over the place. And if you yeah. if you get a good one, it is rare. I mean, it's yeah. very rare. And then um, I've toured quite a bit with Frank Mills. You must know Frank Mills, Music Box Dancer. I know, yeah, and, and that's that's really cool because Music Box Dancer was one of the first sort of neoclassical pieces that that I learned that sort of helped me step out of that. His stuff is his stuff is really cool. I was you know I saw that you went on tour with him and. My favorite, my other favorite of his is um, Storm Warning. Oh, yeah. Um, which which I think is, you know, something that I'm like, well, I want to hear that song sort of more often. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, uh, you know, great guy. He's super nice. We're, we're friends. And and uh, it's funny when during that show, uh, the last couple of times I went out with that, because uh, it was basically him and um, he's either playing solo or playing uh, second half, we did a lot of songs with tracks, uh, mm. playing along from his new album and stuff. Um, but man, man, some of these pianos were just, there's nothing much you can do. You try micing yeah. every single different way and, um, it, it's difficult. It's a real difficult thing. And if, if it's possible, you know, most of the time I would prefer to travel with an empty shell and slide in pian mm. an electric piano because you know, it's going to be, you know, solid all the yeah. time that's why elton john does it i mean it's it's uh it's that sound every single time you, 
you get there and it's, it's always going to be the same. But sometimes you luck out and have really great pianos and then it's it's a really wonderful night. You can tell as a guy that sits back and mixing the show or whatever, when you see someone on a really good piano, hmm. you can feel how much better the show is. Yeah. It just, everything is just way better. It's just like anything. If you had crappy monitors or you have a bad guitar or a bad amp or something, um, it's just not very inspiring to yeah. play. And it, it, I think piano is the, the one instrument that's, that's the worst for that. If you don't have a great one, it's not very inspiring. Well, I would say I've, I've been I've been a bit spoiled in terms of the pianos that I've gotten to play on. Um, you know, my market definitely isn't Canada or the U.S. Uh, my main market has been China and, you know, other places in, in Asia. And the, the last tour that I did in, in China was 20 cities in 27 days in the fall of uh, fall of 2019. And I got to tell you, man, you know, these these theaters and performing centers um Almost every single one of them, nine foot Steinway, oh, yeah. or Fatsy Woolly, or you know, there was there was the odd one that had, you know, a local brand, and you sit down and play it, and and like this feels like you know, it feels like a Steinway, so it must be in, you know, an off brand of, you know, whatever. But there, there, I think there was only one piano that I was like, hmm, um, okay, so this is a show to not to get through, but it it was a show to okay. I got to work a little harder to, you know, coax out of the piano what, what I need to. Um, here, I've been fortunate that, you know, when I play locally in Vancouver, uh, Showcase Pianos, which is the local Fazioli dealer, you know, we have an agreement that any time that I do a show and I need a piano, they just they just provide one. Yeah. And um, any of the other shows that I've done, I have mounted myself. So, you know, I'll be like, okay, what do you have in stock? And, you know, if, if it, if, if somebody says, yeah, we've got a Yamaha nine foot great, you know, I know it's going to be well cared for because they're not cheap, yeah. you know, instruments, um, to keep or, or to maintain, um, microphones make a huge difference. So do, you know, in-ear monitors, my show now is very much like what you described with Frank and the second half, you know, it's me at a nine foot grand piano backing tracks. You know, visuals behind me, you know, Canadian scenics or images that, that go that go with a song and me, grand piano, you know, a couple of DPA mics, um, closed piano, backing tracks, in-ear monitors, um, everything is set and I just pop in the same microphones, you know, and I got everything level set and the guy in the guy in the house just, you know, puts up the two stereo channels and and that's it yeah but it was very different when i was starting out you know the dpa microphones i don't know that that they weren't around back then as much so i probably didn't know about them but um you know my my live concert that i that i did back in 99 that i self-funded to the tune of thirty five thousand because i went hey i gotta do something to get noticed with my uh non-offensive music yeah um you know living living i never laid that one down <laughs> how do you describe your music non-offensive <laughs> brackets darren walters um, you, can, you can put that right on your website <laughs> don touch calls him the most amazing piano player that he knows darren walters calls his music non-offensive <laughs> well you know what nowadays that's probably a really good handle to have <laughs> well it, it is and i mean it's you know um 
there's people that, that have come to my shows that um, I, I see people in the audience and 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 now it's such a such a bigger blend of anybody and everybody. When I was starting out, it was you know it was my parents and 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 their type of age uh, group or people that I, that I went to college or university with that wanted to to come and support me. Now it's anybody from from kids that are eight or nine that are studying piano through all the way to you know grandma and grandpa and everything in between. Um, I was doing a show once and there, there was this, there was this group of punk rockers, like 10 of them that, that came and went and they, they sat in the, the second row and they're like, you know, they're like smiling and they're having a great time. They're clapping after every single song and then completely lost their mind when I, you know, strap on the red key car and, you know, yeah. go into the audience. They're like, oh yeah, this is cool. So it's, um, it, it's. It's, it's definitely changed a lot, but, you know, going back to piano, mice and piano sounds, that, that first show that, that I did, uh, which for me came after reading in, uh, I think it was Taxi Magazine or uh, Keyboard Magazine or something like that, is if you were sitting on the couch waiting for a record company to come and find you, you're going to be an old man, you know, covered in Cheerios by the time it happens. Mm-hmm. And having seen, you know, Tattoo Red Rocks and Yanni did live at Acropolis, um, I went, I got to do something that is sort of going to raise my profile a bit. So the, the whole idea was like, I'm 19. I'm going to try to do one of these PBS specials in Edmonton. Yeah. No idea how to produce any of it. All I knew was I'd written, you know, a lot of songs since I was, uh, since I was 15, you know, in, in that sort of style, I knew that I wanted an orchestra. I knew that I wanted to record it and I knew that I wanted to film it. So, you know, 50% of that worked out. You know, the, the, the concert was great and the recording was, uh, was great. The, the video wasn't, uh, didn't work. It was theater lighting, which, you know, back in 99, before we had HD and 4K and all that sort of stuff, um, the setup that you have behind you with those beautiful lights, that wouldn't track well on an SD camera. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't show well. But the recording... You know, we went into the studio and I was like, okay, we got to retract some of these strings, um, which I think a lot of people probably don't realize that when you when there's a live album, unless it's meticulously and perf- perfectly recorded, there's going to be some overdubs. You know, the guitar player was out of tune or, you know, something happened or the strings were too far ahead or whatever. And so we, we had some some work to do in order to to fix some of that stuff. But the record ended up sounding great. And how the stuff um, happened with, you know, China is that I created this record and did this concert in order to be recognized in Canada and in North America. Yeah. And that didn't happen. I put it up on my website. Six months later, I get an email from this performing arts agency in China that says, hey, we found your non-offensive music. Um, we, you know, we they probably liked said it. that, we, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we, uh, we like, you know, how this sounds. We'd love to invite you on a 16 city, six week national concert tour of China at 20. I'd never been anywhere. I, you know, I'd mounted this show. I, I played on TV a couple of times. I played my dad's dance band, you know, uh, Fridays, Saturdays at the Legion or the local, you know, sort of community center for, for people that, that was how I got my my stage performance chops. So out of this, uh, out of this, you know, $35,000 risk came this national concert tour that was just insane. I mean, there were, there were places where it was with a police escort or getting mobbed for autographs, 
And it, you know, I've, I've been doing, you know, concerts there for the past 20 years. And there's still places where I can't go without the ball cap or the sunglasses, because when when they do these tours, it's just there's there's places that that I walk to where there's massive billboards of, you know, promoting promoting my music or promoting my show. And it's just it's really cool. And yet here I go to Starbucks and they're like, so what's the name that I can put on your order? You know, yeah. it's it's just so so completely night and day. Um, it's, it's funny because Frank, uh, Frank Mills too is popular over there. Um, mm. And that market tends to really like that style of music, right? It's, it's really popular. Um, and I know Frank used to have, we, we'd be on tour and he'd have people fly from Asia all over the place to yeah. just to see him. We'd be in like, Belleville, Ontario, all of a sudden here comes, you know, a couple of his fans that flew halfway around the world to see one or two shows and fly all the way home again and hmm. um, big fans. So it's, uh, it, it's a different marketplace there for sure. It's way different than here. And um, uh, it, it's great that you've found that success there that, you know, cause that builds really for everything else too. Right. Um, uh, it's it's always hard to know that you know being a star in Canada or United States it's a tough market to build but you become really famous somewhere else that just mm -hmm. brings all that more extra credit back to you yeah. back to you here which really, really you know really helps a lot it's a you know it, it's very it's very night and day and when you talk about those fans i mean you, you don't know you know who's going to pop up where um, one, one of my favorite stories is a couple of years ago when, when my mom was visiting here in Vancouver, um, you know, I, I wanted to treat her to, you know, some kind of new outfit or, or whatever. She, she was always one of those ones that, you know, she really didn't like to spend money on herself. Yeah. And, um, so when she came out, you know, we went to Oak Ridge mall and, um, just walked into one of these boutique stores and she was, she was looking at a couple of things and I'm like, just pick out whatever you want. And this lovely sales lady comes over and, uh, She's like, you know, can I help you find something? And uh, and I was like, I think, you know, my mom's just browsing. And she looks at me and she goes, you could just see her eyes opening up a bit. She's like, have 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 we met before? You you look familiar. And I said, I don't know. Well, it's been it's the first time that I'm in the store, and uh, you can just see something in her head clicking. She's like, I know. She's like, what do you do? What's your profession? I said, I'm a piano player. She literally goes like this. <laughs> and almost like tries not to scream and she's like excuse me sorry runs away and she starts you know saying something in, in Chinese too to one of the uh, to one of the other workers and goes to the back comes back with her purse and pulls out three of my CDs wow and she had seen me in concert in Beijing with her mom oh cool maybe a year before that yeah and can I get your autograph? Can I get a photo on, you know, this, that, and the other thing? It's just, it, it's, it's really cool when that happens because you, you can just see the, the, the genuine connection that, you know, you have with these people. And, and that's one of the things that I love about um, the audiences there is that when you come out, you know, it's, they're, they're there to see you. They're there to see a piano show. 
Um, here, people will come for whatever reason. They have season tickets. A friend invited them. You know, their girl girlfriend dragged them to a concert. At at festivals, it's you know you happen to be in a lineup, and people will either dig it or you know it it uh, it doesn't work. Somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago, "We'd love to have you as part of our festival," but the last time that we had an instrumental group, they said, it, "You know, it was a great jazz orchestra, but we want songs that we can sing along to." Yeah. Even though they were playing, you know, Benny Goodman stuff and and that type of thing. Yeah, it's I I think an instrumental show has to be presented in the right location as well. You can't throw it up in most cases. You can't throw it up on a festival stage or yeah. Um, you know, outdoor venues are harder. Um, but you know, a beautiful performing arts center where everyone's really engaged. It's perfect. I mean, it just, mm -hmm. that's the perfect spot. And the cool thing with instrumental music, not having any lyrics, no, you know, there's no singer to kind of tell the story that, mm. you know, obviously the music tells the story. You have to figure out a way to evoke that type of motion from yeah. your playing. So your playing ends up being very emotional, very, you know, something you just grabs your attention if you're really good at it. And, I find that when you listen to instrumental music, because I used to listen to a lot um, when I was younger too. I, I was a big David Foster fan when I was younger. And uh, so I used to listen to all of his instrumental stuff and, um, and the soundtrack stuff. Uh, I used to be a big soundtrack movie fan too. Mm. And I think what happens from that is you derive your own emotions and your own stories from the song that's being played. So mm -hmm. lyrically, a song could be telling you something and you might relate to it or you might not relate to it. Um, but if an instrumental song was written well and there's that emotion there, you're just able to bring up whatever feelings you have inside that gives you that emotion. There's, you know, someone might be thinking of, you know, their dad or their mom or someone might be thinking of an old boyfriend an old girlfriend or it could be mm. whatever you know those feelings and it'll be different for for everybody um and that's what's cool about instrumental music is that it, it can bring something completely different to every single person that's watching a show um, yeah and that opens up a wider range of people to listen to it because it's it just it's just something that you know if it grabs you it's uh, it's really important. And I think a lot of those, uh, you know, people like Jesse Cook and a lot of instrumental type groups, um, they really have massive follow and like real mm. strong followings, right? It's a different than than singers. You're going to see a country show and you really like the beer drinking song. And, yeah. and it's like, yeah, you know, it's all about having a good time. Um, but the fans that could probably be your fans they're really deep-hearted, um, loyal fans. Uh, mm -hmm. Way different than you get with lots of other styles of music. Do you? Does that resonate with you? Does that make sense? I think, yeah, I think it does. I mean, you know, specifically in Asia, uh, piano is king there. Like, you know, guitar is here. Yeah. Um, you know, there is there is something about that sort of inherent connection to um, to that instrument. Um, it. You know the audiences are sometimes they're different in terms of how how they react to things. 
um, you know, it's different if you're playing in a in a theater as opposed to a concert hall. Yeah. Um, even though you know, in a concert hall, you know, they have. I mean, the the venues in China are just amazing. They're, they're some of the most amazing places that that I've played, and um, you know, LED walls that are ninety feet, where you know, like your the the graphics and the videos just look amazing. Yeah. You know, when when you put up something that looks like a set piece, it actually looks like you know. A physical set piece on that screen whereas it doesn't really have that same punch with um you know with a projector and on a psych wall oh i know but um yeah <laughs> i've done that a million times but um you know in in a concert hall it's it's you come out and it's very you know it's very appropriate sort of clapping but what i found is that when when i play start playing one of their songs one of their um one of their heritage folk songs that you know grandma sang in school and learned it or taught it to you know her kids and it's passed down through the generation there is all of a sudden that same sort of like he knows the song how does he know the song only we know the song because it is it's part of our heritage yeah. it completely changes and completely changes the um interaction or reaction with um with an audience and when you talk about you know, songs that or music that has lyrics were as instrumental doesn't, even when you're playing a song that has lyrics to it. Um, for example, um, I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis. When I played that instrumentally at a show that I did here locally, the story that I played with that um, was a picture of me back when I was um, 11, 12 years old you know, a corduroy suit with the crooked bow tie at a, at a Roland digital piano. And the the story had to do with somebody that I had reconnected with uh, a couple of years ago before before that concert. Somebody that used to bully me in school. And, you know, as a, as a piano kid growing up in Edmonton where people are playing hockey and I'm playing, you know, uh, inside learning, you know, Frank Mills music box dancer, it's, it's a very kind of like, oh, Martin's playing piano, you know, he's such a loser. Um, when I had the chance to, to meet this bully who had reached out and said, you know, I'm really, really sorry for, you know, how I teased you and made school difficult and all that sort of stuff. I went through my own sort of process with that. What I decided to do for that portion of the show was to say, you know, here's the picture of me practicing and this is the song that goes along with it. And even though I have a dream has lyrics to it. All of a sudden, the the music uh, has a different story because just like you said, you know, somebody's in the audience, they go, oh, yeah, I remember when I was affected by this situation or or that type of thing. And, um, you know, sometimes you look over and you see people and they're just, they have their eyes closed. And you think to yourself, are they sleeping? But most of the time, most of the time, they're, they're not. What they're doing is they're they're taking in the emotion and they're attaching it to their own emotion. They're finding, like you said, that story of this song makes me feel this way. So even, even though that song has lyrics to it, they're still interpreting it um, a different way. When I write a song called Love Exceeds Distance, I know exactly what the story is behind that. But when I play it and I tell people this is the name of the song, they're able to interpret it, you know, in, in a different way. And it sounds different when I played solo piano and it sounds different if I played with a string orchestra or if I played with, you know, 
a Bob James type of, you know, jazz beat type of thing um, behind it. Um, I've written um, songs with lyrics to them. I don't sing them because, you know, I'm a terrible singer. Um, and, you know, that would very quickly make my non-offensive music very, very offensive. I promise eventually, you know, I'll, I'll let it go. It's just, you know, but one, one of the things that I was going to ask you is, you know, since we're talking about that, you, you'd asked me before about how I describe my music. Um, how does somebody like Frank Millis describe his? I don't know if he does. Um, I mean, you've worked with him a lot. How would you describe it? Actually, when I heard your music, it reminded me very much of Frank. Like it felt like a uh, a younger, hipper, cooler, more modern version of Frank Mills, um, hmm. if that makes sense. Um, there was uh, similarities for sure um, that I heard. That, that was the, kind of the first thing I thought of when I listened to your songs. And maybe because I'm really familiar with Frank as well. Mm -hmm. um, but... It, it drew me there right away. It's like, oh, it just really feels like um, it, you're the kind of the only person I felt that I've heard that sounds like Frank um, myself. Um, I'm sure there's other people out there that do, but um, but yeah, it kind of, that's the first thing I, I, I thought of. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll take that as a compliment. It is. Um, uh, Hopefully not a disservice to Mr. Mills if he if he's oh no he not at all <laughs> yeah and I'm I'm actually very interested to uh, um, uh, I'll I'll reach out and and I'll send him his his wife listens to my podcast all the time so hi Brenda mm. <laughs> and uh, so uh, she'll probably uh, play this for him and I'll, I'll send your inf information that way so uh, uh, maybe I can get you guys uh, to touch base because uh, uh, that'd be great yeah. He's a super nice guy, like really, 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 really nice guy. And he's done very, very well with Music Box Dancer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, I mean, that song still blows my mind how, you know, worldwide, you know, that, mm -hmm. that was a big, big song, you know, and print music for that was big. And, um, you know, really his career was that song. Um, you know, he had yeah. success in other ones but nothing like music box dancer um and it's interesting you know if if you have any of your fans listen to this you know go back and listen to the frank mills podcast uh, i did on my site because there's some really interesting stories on how that song just kind of blew up out of nowhere and he became a just this massive star or kind of you know overnight almost so yeah um, but yeah well, the thing the thing that would be a you know i i'd be curious to ask him is if he thinks that that same type of success and and what it had back then, you know, if if we put him into the time frame of now, with what radio is and isn't, and what Spotify is and isn't, if it would if it would have the same, you know, if it would have the same type of success, um, you know, that's that's one thing that I'm sort of itching to. You ask John Tesh the next time that I'm on a call with him is like, if you had to do Red Rocks again now, you know, could you, would it have the same, would it have the same impact? Because there was, there was sort of that era of, you know, the, the mid eighties to the early two thousands were like you said, David Foster, Frank Mills, Yanni, John Tesh. Those were the big sort of new age guys that, you know, these were the, those were the, 
you know, the piano guys of, of, of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that Yanni's still touring and I think he did like a 20, 25 year anniversary of the live Acropolis tour. Um, and I know that he, you know, that he plays, um, in, in Asia as well. And another fellow, uh, that you probably know the name of Richard Claterman, um, you know, his, you know, Balat Pur Adeline, uh, 40 years ago, you know, in 1976 with the, the blonde hair and the blue eyes and the suave, you know, moving around the, moving around the piano. And I, I still remember days where, you know, uh, the when you talk about sheet music for for Frank Mills or a music box dancer, you you'd see the ads on TV. It's like, you know, the Frank Mills collection. Buy the cassette and get the sheet music for free. You know, call now. You know, no COD. And back then, I remember thinking to myself, "What is COD?" You know, they never yeah <laughs> they never really explained it. It's like call one eight hundred blah blah blah. And, you know, plus shipping and handling, no COD. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny though. That's the that's the thing that I remember. But, about that but when was the last time that you were watching tv and you saw an ad for anything like that i mean you know there's there's home shopping network and there's qvc and you know um those those things are still out there and they still work for those markets but um i think the the last thing that i probably saw that was anything music related that isn't you know american idol or the voice or or anything like that was um you know some kind of promo for for a ctv show and uh you know then 15 second stinger sean mendes you know in wonder available now you know yeah. that's it you don't you don't see any of these big flashy you know buy the cassette and you'll get the sheet music for free call now you know repeating the number 300 times yeah i mean because you can just google and find it in two seconds um I mean, that, I think the internet era has just really changed all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, just remember all that, that stuff that used to be a big deal. Um, I know Frank, uh, last time we went on the road, I guess it's th two, three years now. Um, mm -hmm. We still did very well with his merch and his records and his book and stuff. I mean, people buy that stuff up like crazy. But partially because you just can't find it anywhere. I mean, you just can't mm. go to H&M or, I mean, which really doesn't exist anymore. Um, there's no place to to buy that. Sorry, HM, HMN, HMN oh, sorry, or sorry. HMV? HMV. Sorry, I'm yeah. thinking of the clothing store. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking Frank find it there either. merchandise at H&M. <laughs> that's, that's a cool I like idea. some socks and a Frank Mill CD, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean... It's interesting, you know, nowadays, um, I think there's a big market for um, any form of instrumental music. It's just getting mm -hmm. it there. Um, and it's it's just a harder push, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because you don't have the as much of the airplay behind you. And, and you know, getting that big hit is, um, it's hard. And most of those people usually have, one really big hit right there's usually that one that just yeah. completely launched their career um because you don't usually have multiple instrumental mm -hmm. hits um, um but just getting that one can really just can change your life um yeah uh but yeah i mean frank still you know he has a you know loyal fan base and 
um, you know, people just uh, love seeing him uh, still now. Um, yeah. And uh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really, really great. I, I wanted to circle back because I know when you're talking about live and I wanted to ask you too, because um, when you're setting up your panel, you mentioned you have your DPA microphones. Um, mm. That's what I use live too. Uh, stereo pair of DPAs. Which, which ones do you use? You know the model numbers? Uh, I think it's the 4099s. They're they're the ones they're the ones with the little uh, magnet mount that just goes oh, yeah, right okay. right onto the soundboard. Yeah, I use the 4050s, um, which just looks like you unscrewed the capsule off the a pencil microphone. Um, okay. And it's they're just the capsule with a little wire coming out of it, and I've got okay. these little little shock mount. Um, things that they sit in and they're they're basically attached to like a a clip-on um uh mic clip um and you can just mount them and mount anywhere you want on the piano and Mm. and it comes with this little uh mount for the microphones which you know those two little rubber pieces and little mic clip things were like 450 bucks for the pair it was ridiculous yeah (laughs) i mean you could have really made them for five bucks um but they work with the same thing, lid closed and, and call it a day. So, um, but lots of, a lot of piano players too, just like to have that lid open. Um, but if you can get, like you said, in-ears or a really nice set of monitors that, that you can get really good sound and that's, that's the best way to get, you know, get some volume happening. Um, yeah, it's, um, I mean, I use the same sound that I'm, that I'm that I'm listening through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the DPA stuff has been uh, great. The other ones that I'd consider was the, I think, Earthworks. Yep. Um, but you know, I can't justify the price tag for. It. <laughs> it's like I think I think that they're like five grand or something like that. Yeah. I mean, the 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 DPAs sound um, amazing. You know, they've got a magnetic clip that you know you virtually can put it anywhere. Um, you know, in the piano that, that you want. And uh, uh, it's, it's always been lid closed for me. I think, I think the thing that, that surprises uh, people the most, probably more so the, the tech staff and the audience is that when I come into a space and, and the, the piano is set up, it, it's always on the left-hand side. So where the, where the bell faces toward the, the audience, Yeah, I'm the guy that plays on the other side. So, yeah. You know, I'll I'll play like um, Billy Juldas as opposed to Elton John, and so when when they have this all set up and you know they they started prepping the lights, even though and and you know this you know you send the writer and you send the stage plot and everything like that and it shows where it's supposed to go, and then you get there and it's like nope you got to turn the piano around, you know all of a sudden you've got uh, you know seven people that are coming out with white gloves that are you know releasing the wheels and and turning around a two hundred fifty thousand dollar instrument. Um, you know that they then have to open and let you put in your microphones, and they're being very cautious about making sure that <laughs> that you that you don't do any of that uh, or do anything that might wreck that instrument. Whereas some of the you know some of the places that you and I talked about before, where it's like you know some community theater and wherever it's like yeah you know you can just move it around, uh, you know which whichever way that that you want. Um, but the in ears makes just such a they just make such a huge difference um, in terms of feeling like you're um, part of the music, that the yeah. music is, you know, is here as opposed to, you know, the minute that you move back like this, you know, all of a sudden you're missing that. Yeah. You're, you're missing that field. 
yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. No, no. Um, I, oh, we, we were talking about, we were talking about mics. Yeah. yeah. No, it's funny. Cause you mentioned, I, I, I run into the same thing with tech guys and, you know, I have very detailed uh, stage plots and, and all that. I'm sure you do too. Um, you know, exact placement and everything. And probably 50% of the time you come and they have it set up. Uh, like you said, I, I like the same direction you do. Um, and, you know, they'd have it spun around. Um, you know, they'd have their microphones on it, even though I advanced it and talked to the tech crew and audio guy and saying, yeah, I'm bringing my own TPAs and stuff. They, they all think they've got the best microphones um, for the piano. <laughs> and it's like, no. Um, and then uh, I always, I'll say, well, we can AB them if you want. You leave them in and I'll put mine in. Hmm. And uh, uh, then I'll be like, but we need to close the lid. And they're like, they just look at you like you're completely insane. Um, <laughs> and then we go out and turn up my microphones and they'll turn up theirs. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I guess yours do sound better. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I remember once, I remember once doing a, a gig where I said similar to, you know, exactly what we're talking about now. Um, but this was before I had my own sort of rig that I, that I take with me. And um, uh you know, they insisted on having the piano on, on the other side. And so I said, fine, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Um, it was, it was part of a gala. So I was, I was one of, you know, multiple performers. And so the piano would, you know, go in and then come out type of thing. But, um, I said, I'm playing it with the lid closed, you know, just no, no if, ands or buts about it because it has to be, you know, it has to be a controlled sound because otherwise with all the other stuff going on, it's just yeah. getting get lost. And, the guy said, okay, fine. You know, we've got a couple of good mics that we can use for this. And um, uh, the ones that they brought out were the, the AKGs, uh, the ones with the, the the gold on the one side and the black on the other. 414s, yeah. Yeah. And I, I still can't believe that this happened. I don't know. Well, it wasn't my piano it was, and it wasn't my show or my microphones. But basically what they did was they took two pieces of black duct tape, put the um, put the two microphones in the middle and strung the duct tape across the, you know, yeah. the the soundboard, other piece on top, and then closed the lid. And I went, okay, I'm glad that's not my piano because you would never in a million years get get close with that. But the whole yeah. left left right side thing um, is is really funny. Actually, I got a, a funny story about that when I when I met John Tesh for the first time. Um, I was, uh, so I was on tour in China and I got his newsletter and they said, yeah, John's playing in Seattle. And I'm like, sure. Okay. Well, that's cool. You know, I'm an hour, hour and a half drive away. So, um, I'd been a, I've been a huge fan of his for, for years and he'd inspired my, you know, my career and really sort of getting to that point of like, okay, I got to do something that is going to get me noticed somewhere. Um, so I bought tickets, I bought front row, right side, because that's where he always plays. Oh, yeah get to Seattle, get to the venue. And all of a sudden I see the piano on the other side of the stage. <laughs> so I went to the manager. I'm going, hi. So I brought front row seats, right? So that I could see where, you know, John's playing. And now all I'm going to be seeing is, you know, this back of this beautiful nine foot Steinway and, you know, his, his big frame sort of popping through and, you know, playing, but, that's that's not what I wanted. And they said, "Well, it's you know, it's a it's a nine foot Steinway, and it's very difficult to move, and the stage isn't very, 
big. And here's what it is. We're a jazz club, so our piano always stays on the left-hand side because that's what our audience is used to seeing. Yeah. So it was funny when I when I got a chance to meet him after the show and I said, I'm a huge fan. You know, I just came back from a national concert tour in China and you were totally responsible for my entire career. I got to ask you, in the 25 years that I've been following, this is the first time you flipped the piano around and the first time that I bought front row seat. What's the deal, man? And it, it's a funny story now because, you know, this is, you know, that's, that's how I got to meet John Tesh and we, um, you know, he invited me for coffee the next day and we, we chatted about, you know, um, our love of guitars and, you know, he's a big fan of Rick Wakeman and that's where oh, yeah. his inspiration comes from. Um, but, uh, you know, being able to meet somebody like that. And then at the end of it, you know, he says in that big booming voice, well, let me give you my telephone number so that we can stay in touch. You know, now all of a sudden the guy that um, inspired me is somebody that I can text or or talk to and has been, you know, very kind to call me the greatest piano player that that he knows. So, but it all goes back to that left and right, um, you know, piano thing. I don't think it would have been as interesting a meeting per se if there wasn't that sort of fun bit. It's like, I bought front row seats, man. What, what are you doing? Well, you know, first time in 25 years that he decides to literally, first time in 25 years he decides to flip the piano around is the day that I go and see the show. Yeah. I'm sure somebody has done that. Uh, actually, no, I, I know somebody that came to my show and said, I bought seats on this side because I know in your theater, all the piano players play on that side. And they said, well, the artist decided to move the piano around. They went, oh, oh, well, in that case, it's all right. <laughs> as long as it's the artist doing it and not any of the stage crew or tech crew or any of that sort of stuff, yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, then there must be a reason for it. Yeah. No, I see that. Yeah. And it's funny having, I have a tough time having the piano the opposite way, like you were saying, playing, um, if you're playing on stage right then, because um, I'm so used to doing it your way. Uh, mm. it feels odd really odd to me the other way around um it'd be like a you know right-handed drummer sitting behind a left-handed drum kit you know yeah. it's that that you're so used to one way it doesn't feel right the other way around so um but yeah well I, and for for me i've i've caught myself a couple of times where i'm so used to being on stage left that i know to look left to look at the audience and if i'm stuck on the other side there have been a few times where I'm just like, you know, I'm playing and I look over and I was like, oh, that's the screen. No, audience is over there. It's like, they're like, what is he looking at? You yeah. know, we're over here. Yeah. So how did you actually get into playing piano? What was the the whole reason why you, you chose the piano? It was grade five. Uh, we were in in music class. We were in choir class. And the um, the lady that was the piano accompanist um play these songs that we be that we be singing to and i remember just being enamored and just mesmerized by by the sound that was coming um out of the instrument so i remember one uh, one class afterwards i said you know um i'd love to learn how to play the piano would you teach me and she says i don't teach but i can recommend somebody and i said i really love the song that you're playing can you give me the sheet music for it and i very quickly got you know a lesson in um, copyright and you know photocopying and all that sort of stuff. Well, we really shouldn't. And blah, blah blah blah. At the end of the week, she handed me a Manila folder and she's like, "You didn't get this from me." I opened it up and it was and it was the sheet music um, yeah. from that song. 
And so I went home and I said to my parents, you know, I, I, I want to take up piano. Um, and, and that's how it started. And what's really cool is that, um, when I released my last album, I released two pieces of sheet music that go along with that, that are for solo pieces, Reverend and some of the heroes. And what I did as a way to thank her for that spark of inspiration many years ago is I sent her that sheet music. We still keep in touch when we're friends on Facebook and she's, she's really fantastic. She's into my, my shows, you know, every one of them that, that I've done here in Canada. And um, so it, it, it was really cool to get a photo back from her at her piano with my sheet music on it because it, it started with, you know, her playing in class and me being mesmerized with that and her giving me the sheet music. And now it's now now there's that really cool full circle moment that's that's happened. So that's really special. That's cool. Um, and you grew up uh, in the Czech Republic, right? I was born in the Czech Republic and um, grew up in Edmonton. Yeah. So how how did that move happen? No, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, well, <laughs> um, that move happened through a, a couple of different things. You know, I was I was born into a, a musical journalist family. So my mom uh, my mom was a journalist, and my dad was uh, a very popular singer in the Czech Republic um, folk type of music, sort of like John Denver. Yeah. And my mom was a, a cultural journalist, so she would covered jazz festivals and, you know, um, concert performances. And she, back then, you know, um, in her career, she interviewed the likes of like Ella Fitzgerald and Duke Ellington, any of these sort of big names that, that were coming through. But, um, you know, at, at the time, the Czech Republic was, um, you know, had the Communist Party as, as, as the governing body. And there, there was something that happened that I remember, you know, they, they basically went to my dad and said, um, if you do one more concert, you're basically going to jail. Um, because there was that whole thing of, you know, performers were, they were sort of viewed as, you know, um, people are going to your concerts and you can subliminally say in your songs or whatever oh, yeah. sort of yeah. uh, thing about, you know, move against the government. So, um, you know, in, in a sort of roundabout sound of music way we left the czech republic in in 86 went and lived in germany for three years where my my mom's mom my grandma lived and you know we stayed there for a couple of years before uh immigrating to to canada and edmonton was chosen because we had you know uh friends there from the czech republic that sponsored our our immigration um so yeah czech born edmonton raised vancouver based nice did you move to Edmonton in the summer or the winter? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, it was in May, so it, oh, so it was warm. Yeah. Um, but I I definitely do remember my my first winter. Um, that was there were that that's one thing that um, people people here give me a hard time about because it's like you know it's two degrees and I'm like oh it's cold. They're like what are you talking about? You used to live in Edmonton, you know it it was freezing. It was minus thirty two, and I said yeah, but but I was younger. I had hair yeah. and you have no idea how much heat you lose when you don't have hair. Like, well, put on a toque. <laughs> but the thing is that in, in Vancouver, it's that, it's that wet cold, right? Like it yeah. gets into your bones and whereas in Edmonton, it was just cold and dry. Like it was minus 31, the wind chill, you know, it'd be like minus 38 and whatever. Um, but it would be dry. And I still remember getting on the bus to go to school and the the temperature difference between 
waiting outside for five minutes and getting onto that bus resulted in sitting down and having a nosebleed. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's very different. But I've been in Vancouver now for almost 17 years. Um, I've gone to Edmund, back to Edmonton a couple of times. There was, you know, there was once many years ago where I had to fly in uh, in January and I remember coming <laughs> I remember coming out, coming out of the airport, and all of a sudden the wind just hits you, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, I felt like I had gotten Botox or something because there's so much moisture here in Vancouver, and then you get there and it's like, okay, I can't move my face. Yeah, <laughs> no. Oh, I know it's it's a different cold. I mean, I I've, I've done so many shows in in Edmonton and in the wintertime mostly, mm. uh, but I remember once there. Uh, and leaving my hotel, I figured I wanted to get something to eat in there. Just wanted to go a half, maybe a block, um, mm. to pick something up. And, nope. and I remember walking out. It's like, and it was minus forty-five or fifty or something. And I remember walking. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. And I got about half a block. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you just froze. Like everything just seized up. And I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it's like turn around. And got back, didn't make it. Um, yes, yeah. it was so darn cold. And then you're, you know, we've all, you know, a lot of us touring have been there. But yeah, just, just taking an hour drive down the road before your car starts warming up. And um, well, yeah, and I mean, I I remember going to school in 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 jeans and and a sweater and wearing a ski suit over top, and be, so that you can, you know, while you're waiting for the bus, and then you get onto the bus and you're roasting hot and you know how you have a nosebleed and then you get out and you go to the school and by the time you walk to the school you know you get inside and you start sweating so by the time by the time you got you know your snow boots and your all your stuff hung up and and everything you're in class is like wow okay i feel disgusting <laughs> yeah. my friend always says yeah you um out west especially because it's so dry he says oh yeah you gotta blow your nose with a crowbar <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true <laughs> so uh what are you looking at now for do you you do you plan five years down the road and and kind of have a plan or obviously covid is messed up a lot of our plans but um what do you foresee your, for yourself just down the road a little bit um i don't i don't know if i you know i don't know if i really do look that sort of, you know, what's your five-year plan? Where are you going to be in 10 years type of thing? Because thankfully, I haven't had to interview in a while for, you know, a position where somebody asks me that. No. Um, COVID has been interesting in, in the fact that it, it it's allowed me to explore, you know, some projects that 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 I've been wanting to to do for for a while. So um, last summer, I, I recorded a, a solo piano album and and wrote a book that goes along with that. And so that's that project is done and that'll that'll get released, you know, before the next tour happens, which we're hopeful, you know, in, in terms of the conversations that I've had with my my agents in China that'll happen in in twenty twenty two, either in the either in the summer or the fall of it. Um the the reason that I don't like to necessarily look ahead too far is because if if I look back in terms of what I did and I said to myself, I'm going to do this debut concert with the $35,000 risk and the 20-piece orchestra and the live recording and everything like that. And five years from now, I'm going to have a PBS special with the Boston Pops and John Williams conducting. That's a huge leap to uh, to get to. Yeah. 
everything that I've done, Darren has been, I take the risk and I take the chance and I put it out there and the universe leads it in a certain direction. If you had said to me, you're going to take this risk, you're going to do this album. It's going to be nominated for Outstanding Instrumental at the, back then it was the Prairie Music Awards, now it's Breakout West. And you're going to get a 16-city national concert tour of China. I would have been like, yeah, that's, hey, that's really cool. But I also would have been like, mm, I don't I don't know if that's, you know, that's realistic, yeah. right? For me, the the whole idea of throwing the rock into that pond was to get known in Canada and and in the States. That didn't happen. It the, the rippled completely somewhere on on the other side of the planet where you know my market has been for the for the past 20 years. And when we go back to talking before about, you know, you gotta do it somewhere else in in order to be taken seriously here, there are still places where, you know, people have said to me, we don't know about booking you in a 200 seat venue because we don't know what our audience would would think. I'm like, yeah, but you just had a piano guy in here, you know, six months ago that is that is playing covers. And they're like, yeah, but he's playing covers. You know, he he's playing Elton John or he's playing David Foster stuff or or whatever. The audience knows that. Yeah. And so, you know, those those big tours overseas don't always translate um, to here. Yeah. You know, Richard Claterman was hugely you know, famous in, in, in Europe and North America, you know, in the in the seventies and eighties. And now the majority of his market is, you know, in, in Asia. He does thirty to thirty-five city tours there in China twice a year. And, you know, most people in, in his native France um don't know who he is anymore because he, he doesn't perform there. So for for me, I you know, I'm I'm looking at okay, so what am I what am I doing right now or what am I working on that allows me to sort of come out of the gate running once COVID is over and we sort of go back to work? And so the, you know, the the last sort of six months I've been trying to figure out sort of, okay, you know, am I going to sort of keep the same show or how am I going to retool it so that when we do go back on tour, that uh, is it going to be completely new? Is it going to be all new music? Is it going to be, you know, sort of a combination of, of the two? Um but I mean, I know that there's stuff. I know there's stuff that I want to do, and uh, I look at those as sort of big pipe dream type of things, right? Like I'd love to do an outdoor show with an orchestra that I can film and sell to CBT or PBS or you know somebody like that. Yeah. Um. But getting the getting the backing for that uh, is immensely challenging. You know, I I put it in the massive creative bc grant for for a project and they declined it same project canada council also declined same project factor also declined and when i look at all of those even though i've done it before and i spent the time to do it and i answer all the questions and i dot all the i's and answer to all of their specific needs i can tell you from each one of them why it didn't work. For Factor, it's not commercial enough. For Canada Council, it's too commercial. And for Creative BC, it doesn't meet XYZ reasons in terms of, yes, you're established elsewhere, but here you're sort of considered emerging, but not. And so it's, you know, it, it's always constantly having to find that sort of space of, 
you know, where does, where does that fit in? That sort of goes back to what we were talking about before, you know, if Frank Mills wrote Music Box Dancer now, could it have the same impact that it did, you know, many years ago, you know, could Tesh have walked away from Entertainment Tonight if he did Red Rocks now, you know, Yanni had um, Linda Evans that backed his project um, for Acropolis because she was a very famous, you know, uh, television actress. Yeah. David Foster had the hit with, you know, the Winter Olympic Games and St. Elmo's Fire. But when you think of David Foster now, you think producer to stars like Barbara Streisand, Celine Dion, and, you know, those types of people. Yeah. So, you know, the, the industry is constantly changing. Um, the, you know, I don't know where we're going to go in terms of music stability or being able to make an income from things such as streaming. Um, especially when places like Spotify pay, you know, 0.0073 per stream. Yeah. You know, um, it's a, it's a different marketplace and, and it's constantly changing. And, and when, when people can listen to your music on Spotify and can either listen to it for free or with a subscription, why would they buy an album for $10 off your website? The, the only thing that I can think of why people would buy CDs these days or music these days is if they come to your show, they can buy the CD and you either sign it for them after the show or it's the only place that, that they can get, get an autographed show, uh, autographed album. So for me, looking forward, um, you know, obviously I want to I wanna keep performing and, and expand into, you know, other markets, which is, um, which is work that I started before you know, sort of COVID shut everything down. And, and this, this year will be a lot about, you know, laying the groundwork in, in terms of that and expanding into that. But where I want to see myself in five years or, you know, what that, what's that, what that sort of goal looks like um, is not something that I like to answer anymore, only because um, what I've learned from my experience is taking that pebble and throwing it into a pond and just letting that ripple do its thing is the best approach because you can have the best laid plans and you know something in the world will happen and all of a sudden it's like okay got to retreat and you know come back approaching this from a different direction yeah i I totally get that um you know interesting a few things you said there and you know kind of going back to factor and all those type of things and it's interesting a lot of those programs are set up to really help people who you know, need the help to some degree as far as, you know, maybe they're in a class that's not as commercial as the other one. Um, for me, those are the reasons that you fund artists. Um, not necessarily, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people get funded and I'm thinking, why did they get funded? They already have mm-hmm. five hit <laughs> albums, um, mm-hmm. but Factor is backing another one. Um, you know, the mandate of that seems pretty backwards. Um, but it's there and it helps, you know, it helps people and, and it, you know, it's worked. But um, I think what a lot of people think, the premise behind it and really what happens uh, are two completely different things. Um, and, uh, you know, all those things. And, and especially now with, with, COVID and you know, all these grants and stuff are happening now that it's a disaster. Um, 
And I've gone through a bunch of them and, you know, just the reasons of being turned down is remarkable. I mean, hmm. just mind boggling. It's a whole three part mini series podcast hmm. just to go through that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you just keep forging ahead and, and, uh, like you said, you, you just never know what one day leads into another day. Um, yeah. And uh, that's, you know, that's the best way to look at it. Um, let, let's wrap up on a, a couple of quick questions. Uh, how sure. I usually like to wrap up. Uh, it's been a great, great conversation. really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, me too. One of the questions I always like to ask artists, is there a venue out there um, that you haven't performed at um, that's on the top of your list that you've always wanted to perform at? Indoor or outdoor? Doesn't matter. Venue, city, country. Oof. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I would love to do a concert at the Great Wall of China. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, that's a first. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, um, I have this I have this great illustration here that, um, uh, that a local guy did here of sort of the last 30 years of, of, of things that have really sort of tied together the fabric of my life and 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 my music and one of them is you know is an illustration of me you know playing on the great wall of china with with all these fans sort of um coming around um i would say you know before when when i said it's like you know um the outdoor venues that guys like tesh and yanni picked you know they're 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 great they're beautiful too um you know, to those places, I would say, yeah, you know, Martin May alive at the Great Wall of China with the Beijing Symphony Orchestra. That'd be awesome. That's conducted a good one. by John Williams. There you, you go. <laughs> cool. Better than which list in five years. Can we uh, can we make that happen? Why not? Right. BDC Canada. Here I come. Ah, perfect. Um, last question, food related. Mm. Yes. Um. This could be hometown or travels. Uh, if there's a there's that one, either I would like to say either food item or that amazing restaurant when you've traveled, you say, oh, okay, I can't wait to get back there. Uh, do you have one of those places or a particular food item you have to go to? Well, here here's the problem with that question is that I love to cook. Yeah. And when I say I love to cook, I'm talking about like, uh, Julia Child's Bœuf Bourguignon, the one that takes six hours to make, the one that you get that, you know, that really good bottle of Burgundy to make. Yeah. Like, I love to cook. You know, I've I've had friends say, uh, you should apply to MasterChef or MasterChef Canada or something like that. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to get, I don't like the pressure of those shows or Hell's Kitchen, you know, having scallops thrown at my head. That, that's one thing that I find <laughs> hilarious. 17 years in, you know, you think that the people that, that are going on these shows would would take like like take two months and learn how to make scallops at home before you go on this show. Um favorite place. Favorite place or favorite food? Let's narrow it down. Touring wise. Yeah. What's the best place you've been to uh to eat on tour? China. Any of the any of the food there, it can be a whole hole in the wall at two o'clock in the morning and it is some of the best food that that i've ever had like it just blows any of it out of the water 
um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, Italian food. Yeah. Um, but if I had to think about like really going anywhere and having something that brings comfort and that idea of going home or feeling at home, um, you know, my mom, God bless her soul, isn't with us anymore. But if I could, you know, do anything, I would want to go home and have her cook me one of my favorites. Uh, second best to that would be going back to Prague and, you know, having one of those childhood meals where, you know, it's it's all dumplings with, with you know, roast beef and and sauce that, you know, people have said to me, you're, you're a Czech guy and their food is very heavy and it's very based with, you know, dumplings and sauce. How are you not a heavy guy? I said, well, here's a fun fact. I'm a musician that doesn't drink. I don't drink coffee. I don't smoke and I don't do drugs. There you now go. you can call me non-offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, you're non-offensive. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. No, that's a good way to travel anyways. Um, yeah, and that will that'll keep you... Uh, that will keep you fit and healthy for sure. Um, when you when you do something like twenty shows in in twenty seven days, and you know, I mean, I turned forty last year, and um, you know, I feel like I'm really my my thirties were a lot better than my 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 twenties for sure. But I feel like I'm really not growing into the person that that I am. And when when you have a schedule where you know for eleven days you're in a different city, a different venue, a different hotel. Um, you know, I can't imagine the idea of, you know, going out and drinking myself under the table and then trying to get onto a plane or a tour bus in the morning and, and doing that for, for 11 days. Yeah. Um, you have to, uh, in a row. it catches up to you. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, and it takes a special, uh, type of person to be able to, to do that. I mean, um, you just gotta be able to handle that type of, uh, stress load and travel schedule. And, um, yeah, I love that. I mean, I can just get up and do 60 days in a row and, and I'm happy. Um, but I should take you on tour with me next time. Yeah. I have no problem with that. <laughs> it, I could just go, 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 go. Um, but it's because it's something you really love, right? You know, you're looking forward to getting to that next place and the challenges of what that's going to bring and, and then, presenting a show and, and all that. So it kind of just kind of keeps you driving all the time. Mm -hmm. So, which is kind of neat. Well, what's the best way for people to, um, watch and listen and buy what, what you do, um, and stay in touch with, with you. Um, what's the best way to do that? Best way is martinmayermusic.com, all one word, um, facebook.com forward slash I am Martin Mayer and same thing with Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash I am Martin Mayer. Those are the best ways to find me. And yeah, you know, if there's if there's people that are looking to get into music or people that are studying piano that have questions, um, I'm I'm very interactive. Shoot me a message, um, send me a DM. You know, I, I love inspiring the the next generation of of musicians and and the the tip that I'll sort of leave out there for for people who might be listening that are either studying piano or parents who want their kids to study piano. The best advice that I have is if, if your child comes to you and says, I want to learn this instrument, completely encourage them. If you're the one that is going to your uh, child and say, you should learn piano, 
it won't work the same way. The reason that it worked for me and the reason that my parents were so supportive um, is because I was the one that said, this interests me, this excites me. Um, that's why it's always stuck because, you know, it was something that I inherently wanted from, from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Um, and I'm a big advocator for, you know, especially cause I started playing when I was four. Um, and, but I wanted to, right. And hmm. I played the fiddle, my grandpa played the fiddle and, and that's what I wanted to do. So I had a purpose for it and there was a, there was a meaning behind it, but, uh, you know, I've seen lots of people just they want their kids to do it. And there's not this, you know, they may end up being really great. Um, there's mm. always that chance, but it's never the same uh, as someone who just really wants to do it um, from a yeah. young age and does it. So, well, it's been a great uh, conversation and uh, I look forward to seeing more stuff from you in the future. And uh, hopefully uh, one of these days when we're traveling again, I get back out to Vancouver or if you're this way, that we'll be uh, able to connect and, and uh, hang out. That'd be fun. That'd be great. Thanks but, for having me, Dieter. Yeah, well, hang on, and I'll say a proper goodbye, but uh, we'll just let you go for now, and thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Bye.